As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Ryan Bailey and this is the Weekend Review. Joining me today is a man who's one of the most positive people I know. He's actually happier than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer watching Fred take a right-footed shot from outside the box. It's Taylor Rockwell! I feel like I'm supposed to yes and you here, but you also set me up to be angry from the start. Thanks for that, buddy. How you doing? You can't be angry about Ollie's reaction to that shot, can you? I you absolutely can't. can be. <laughs> well, more on that barrel of laugh games very shortly. But joining Taylor and I is a man who has more great points than Man United against Big Six opposition, Graham Rutherford. Yeah, it's not that's not saying much this season, Ryan, <laughs> given my United record against top six. But thank you anyway. Thank you. I'll take I mean, great, great single points. Is that what I meant? Maybe that's what I meant. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Um, lots to talk about on this show. Of course, Chelsea Man United being the big Premier League game we're going to talk about this weekend. There was a big one in East Germany with Leipzig taking on Gladbach that had plenty of goals, unlike the action from Stamford Bridge. Uh, Roma versus Milan coming up as well. And we're going to go to Spain to see what Leo Messi and his crew are up to when uh, when members of the organisation are not being arrested. Uh, but for the meantime, gents, my favourite moment of the weekend came in the Man City-West Ham game. I don't know if you saw this. It kind of went a little bit viral on social. Thomas Suchek on his way into the stadium um, as a sign of reported respect uh, you know they have like the man city logos on the floor sort of as you enter and there's another one like on, on this sort of blue carpet leading yeah. in as a sign of respect suchek sidesteps around the crest stops looking at his phone and walks around it and he does it a second time for another crest and this is this has been sort of telegraphed as a massive sign of respect <laughs> what i what i want to know is why would you put a massive logo on the floor in the middle of a blue carpet leading to the stadium if you don't want people to walk on it what is going on here so he didn't do what Ander Herrera did in a, a derby a few years ago where he, he spat on the crest on the floor that they have at the, the Etihad Stadium. And also, we finally, on Twitter last week, I asked, who buys, I, I, I'm sure you saw the coat that Pep Guardiola was wearing in the Champions League during the week uh, with a massive Man City badge on the back. And I asked, who, who's buying that coat? coat? Well, well, now we know. It's Thomas Suchek who's buying that coat. <laughs> yeah. As a sign of respect, he's going to never wash it. I think he's going to yeah, hang it in a pride of place in his home. 
I, I don't know. This one, this one gra grounded my gears a little more than I expected. I, did, I just couldn't understand why, why. Why would you? And then the, the best thing about the video is all these teammates just walk straight over it as soon as he's walked past it as well. It, it's a weird thing because like that's that's the thing in American sports where like the the players will go and like like rub their cleats or like grind their cleats into the logo before a game starts, and that almost always leads to a fist fight uh, before kickoff even happens. So yeah, it does feel like you're inviting the Ander Herrera disrespect, which then leads to the, the fight. Maybe that's what it is, is they want the badge disrespected, and then it's constant locker room material. They're constantly feeling disrespected, chip on the shoulder. Maybe that's the genius of Pep Guardiola. Maybe it is. I think Suchet should have taken it a step further and kissed the badge, got on his knees, walked along, and sort of maybe just licked it as he walked along. I think that would have been the best way. Yeah. That would be the, the highest sign of respect. The anti Herrera would be to have licked the floor as he walked into the stadium. I think we all agreed. I, I think we go, we go full the cousins from the, uh, the cousin assassins from Breaking Bad, and he just like, gets on his hands and knees and crawls the length of the hallway. That's how you really show penitence if you really want to show respect. Oh, and the most respect is to lose to them, which is what well, they did and what most teams do indeed, I suppose. Anyway, um, it was an interesting Premier League weekend. None of my game picks actually came in. Uh, Arsenal winning at Leicester, didn't see that coming. Villa beating Leeds, didn't see that coming. West Brom doing a win. Thanks for missing two penalties, Brighton. Goodness me. But one, gents, that I did get very right, the most predictable result in the history of predictable results. Chelsea against Manchester United. A draw and a tedious nil-nil at that, which you may remember from a few months ago when the same <laughs> thing happened at Old Trafford. This one, I would contend, Taylor, was slightly more watchable. I'm not sure if you feel the same way. I do not feel the same way. I will be honest. I think it's because I didn't have the level of perspective going into this one. And so it was like watching the TV series that you've been with for seven seasons, and now they're in the eighth, and you know they're kind of checked out, but you feel the need to keep watching. You know it's not going to be that good, but then you let your, get your hopes up just a little bit, and it continues to underperform. And that's what this felt like. Like, I was up. I was ready for it. I was like, there's lots of th things that are interesting. Thomas Tuchel has Chelsea playing well. How will Man United respond? What are they going to do here? And instead it was both teams sort of like, you good with nil-nil? Yeah, I'm good with nil-nil. All right, let's make that happen then. And that's pretty much how it played out for two hours in my mind. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I mean, the, the, the tempo was a bit better, wasn't it, Graham, than the last game? I remember the last nil-nil being absolutely dreadful. And this one, at least, I felt had some interesting points, notwithstanding Fred taking a shot with his right boot. Yeah, I, I, th I actually thought the, the first half was relatively interesting because Solskjaer kind of threw a little bit of a curveball with this with this high line and, and high press, mm. which I didn't feel like Chelsea anticipated at all, just, just from the fact that Tuchel uh, started Olivier Giroud, which kind of suggested they were expecting to see lots of the ball and, and get crosses in. And Giroud, obviously, with his, his aerial presence, would get on the end of them. So, ironically, having taken him out of the team, I felt like this was actually the perfect match for Timo Werner to start. Um, he would have exploited the space in behind the, the Lindelof and Maguire, or at the very least, he would have pushed them further back towards their own goal and then would have given Kovacic and Kante in, in, in the middle of the pitch a little bit more um, space and, and, and time to play in but by the time he came on the dynamic of the game had shifted Tuchel made mm. slight, slight changes at, at, at half time and it, it, it became more of the match that we were expected and it, it just got to the kind of 60 minute mark and I think it all dawned, it dawned on all of us that this was another <laughs> this was another nil-nil game um, so yeah there were there were interesting things in the first half um, the second half, Chelsea changed things a little bit, but it, it kind of lost its intrigue once, as I say, I realised both teams were, would settle for a point. Yeah, right. I, I, I would agree oh, with that. I think it was it was a pretty good, like aggressive start from both teams. There was a, a decent amount of pace, but it did kind of fade away. You mentioned there about um, uh, Tuchel changing things up. 
And it did kind of, maybe it, it did amplify the fact that he didn't expect uh, Man United to be have, having that high press. And he, he said, I think he switched to a 3-4-1-2 in the second half to try and help things. And uh, we know that um, Instagram liking sense, uh, post liking sensation Christian Pulisic uh, came on for uh, Giroud uh, with Tuchel saying, we defended with two strikers to block them so they cannot enter with the ball. Taylor, I cut you off there. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, Graham made me feel like 20% better about this game. I have to I have oh. to be honest that like I, I think he is correct in the way that Solskjaer maybe sp- sprung a surprise. I think that did sort of confuse Chelsea a little bit in the beginning, at least. I also think Thomas Ducal did probably set up to have that ball, but then had his team... It, like in the with three center backs and then Conte and Kovacic ahead of them, I think was was very clearly designed to not get hit on the counter to not let Man United break through the middle. And so once you put it in that framework, it does become more of a like oh there was a little bit of tactics here that canceled each other out. There was a little bit of uh, of a chess match, a tiny chess match. Like uh, <laughs> one person who just sort of learned to play chess, bringing a surprise, I guess is what I would say. But I think that does make it more interesting and then I think some of the changes that are made then make that even more interesting all that said still not that interesting because it's a nil-nil draw but I do feel slightly better so thank you for that Graham (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) so United have failed to score a single goal in open play against opponents in the big six uh, for uh, well, this season, I suppose, isn't it? And ever, they, 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 ever <laughs> is the number you're looking for. But they, they've got still got a good away record from home. If you're going to take that uh, piece of consolation here, say, say, what, what did you make of that? Um, the system, the, the pressing high up the field with with the uh, the defending, the energy, the application, and the pressing, which uh, which Oli uh, com- uh, complimented after the game. He did say with the ball they weren't good enough, though didn't have enough quality on the ball mm-hmm. uh, to continue Oli's quote. A, qu- a clean sheet is always a foundation. We've had loads against the top sides yeah but we haven't found the goal and we sort of need that we need to sort that yeah I think like and I I welcome you all both to say you're being overly emotional you're this is more of a fan perspective but I think what what I sort of find confusing is like yeah I like the idea of press higher throw some throw some different things at him put Daniel James in, in there even though he's nominally familiar with the first touch but he's very fast he can cause people problems he can make Chelsea uncomfortable I think all of that makes sense to me what I still struggle with is there doesn't seem to be a unifying philosophy sometimes it's sit deep and counter sometimes it's have the ball and try to overload sometimes it's counter press sometimes it's high press like I think we just get lots of permutations and in some ways that's interesting that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can have the players trying different things, but it never feels like they're building towards a cohesive, consistent style of play. So even when things are working, then there's the question of, like, do, like did he misuse Bruno Fernandes? Did he need to play him here? Did he need to play him midweek? Could he have put him in a different situation? Do you want to try Marcus Rashford up top? Like, there's always different questions that I feel like come out of these games that then if the next game he answered some of those questions and it felt like there was a narrative, a sort of cohesive style that was being assembled, I think I would feel less confused about nil-nil draws like this. But when the next game is kind of a fundamentally different style, that's where I scratch my head. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, maybe one of the good decisions that was made, uh, Graham, was having Greenwood in for Martial. Do you think he's kind of taken that spot? Um, I I actually felt like this was a missed opportunity for for Mason Greenwood. This was this is the obviously he started as a as a number nine in a number of games for Manchester United, but this was the biggest game that he's played in that position. Now, obviously, Solskjaer's hand is was forced a little bit by the the injury to uh, Cavani, and uh, Martial's out, uh, dreadfully out of form at, at the moment. But the, it it just feels like Mason Greenwood 
I know we keep keep on getting told that his 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 best position is through the centre, but it, he he strikes me as another Marcus Rashford who's more mm-hmm. more successful coming off coming off the wing. I mean, there was one moment. I'm trying to remember who put in the cross. It must have been Dan James. Um, Dan James gets down the right wing to the to the byline. Actually, puts in a really good cross to the near post. And Greenwood is one on one with one on one with his man, and he doesn't get in front of his man. And Chelsea clear the danger. And I'm just thinking to myself, if that's Cavani, he's he's getting in front of of his man there. So I, I don't know whether it's it's almost like an instinctual thing with Greenwood. He he plays his role. He was dropping deep to kind of spin the ball in behind and then making a run. And but it's it's just when it comes to those moments where you expect like a true number nine to get on the end of a chance that I, I, I still feel he's lacking. Now he's only 19 years old. He could he could add that to his game. But I, I don't feel like he is ready to play that position for Manchester United in in, in big games. And had Cavani been fit, I think there's no question he would have he would have played this game. Yeah, both Greenwood and Rashford dispossessed three times uh, each in this game. It did seem like there was a, the, the the final ball was was an issue here. Um, Taylor, you mentioned Bruno Fernandes. He does, he did look a bit tired, didn't he? Maybe maybe does need to take one or two off. What do you think? I mean, I think he does. I think it's it, the problem is that if you don't have Pogba available, then if you're Solskjaer, you want to do a more defensive midfield approach. You've got McTominay in there. You've got Fred in there. There's not a ton of creativity. Uh, there was a good article. It was either in The Guardian or The Athletic uh, today about how McTominay was in The Guardian, about how McTominay has to like, kind of like diversify his skill set and add some more attacking weapons to it if he wants to continue to play in this team, in this system. And I think that's true because right now McTominay, very good, but not going to unlock defenses, not going to pick apart teams, nor is Fred. Graham, you gonna, <laughs> are you going to take this slide right now, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that then... Fine. Let me back it up before Graham comes through the computer Freddy Krueger style and hurts me. Uh, he is not as good at that as some other midfielders, including Bruno Fernandes. I don't know if that made it better or worse. But I think that means that Bruno Fernandes is then the one who's unlocking. The, it's all on him to kind of possess the ball, find those openings. I'm not trying to disrespect Daniel James again, but I don't think that's a thing that he is particularly going to be good at. Mason Greenwood, Graham already kind of hit on. And so that leaves basically Bruno Fernandez and Marcus Rashford out wide. I think you're asking a lot of Bruno Fernandez and have been a lot this season. It's similar to what happened with Marcus Rashford when he played with a broken back, I think, at one point to try to get them through last season. That's not really what you want here. You don't want to keep playing a player to the point where you run them down and you risk injury, I think it's just that they don't have that many other options to uh, to spell Bruno that much. Graham, uh, your, your response on Luke Maradona there. Look, he is my son. Uh, that's the <laughs> first time I've revealed that. Uh, so I will hear no disrespect against uh, Mick Maradona. <laughs> well, um, it was a relatively incident-free game, gents, with the exception of the penalty incident, the VAR check, with uh, Mondi punching the free kick away, ball bouncing up and appearing to hit the outstretched arm of Mason Greenwood maybe a couple times, but also on further inspection, hitting the arm of Callum uh, Hudson-Odoi. Stuart Atwell, the referee, overruling VAR here. Uh, with the decision to, uh, to to not give it further controversy coming with Luke Shaw saying after the game, the ref even said to H, who is presumably <laughs> Harry Maguire. It took me so long to figure out who that was. I was like, H? Who is H? I went through every player. I was so confused. It's of either course, Harry it's Maguire, Maguire or a hot McTominay. <laughs> One of the two, I'd say. Um, <laughs> uh, the ref even Scotty said... Scotty McCarty, baby. <laughs> 
The ref even said to H, uh, I heard him say, if it's a pen, it's going to cause a lot of talk about it after. So I don't yeah. know what happened there. So this is a terrifying comment because uh, why would that be in the referee's decision making? Is he afraid to do his job? And there's either three things that have happened here. The referee has actually said that to Harry Maguire and that's a thing. Or the ref lied to Harry Maguire to, you know, get him to go away and point the blame somewhere else. Or Shaw completely misquoted him. None of these things are particularly good. Um, no. So why, why, why don't we start with the fact that, you know, given the, the, the incident, that, that would be given as, as a penalty under the rules, technically. Graham, what, what do you think? Uh, should that have been given? And what do you make of all this, uh, this nonsense that's come out around it? I agree with Graham Sai. I want to get that out up front. <laughs> that was audible. <laughs> Sign of a good game that we're spending time on the uh, VAR controversy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I was waiting to see who you were going to direct that one to, Ryan. They go, uh, Graham. Oh, please, why? Why? Why me? To, to be frank, Ryan, I don't, I don't care about the penalty decision. Okay. Uh, um... I, I, I just don't know anymore. Like I I really have like not a lot to, not a lot to add. Like yeah, it hit his hand. Am, am I that bothered that a penalty wasn't given? No, not really. I think the the the, the Luke Shaw thing. Manchester United have walked that back, right? I'm pretty sure I've read that this morning that, that there's some form of statement or or Solskjaer said something. I'm pretty sure they they they've now said that Shaw misheard. Yeah. Or or someone misheard. Shaw either misheard Maguire or Maguire misheard the referee. But I, mm. I don't. I think there's been an acceptance that that didn't happen. Now, the implication uh, I got was that maybe there it was a sarcastic conversation that Shaw came in and like late on and thought it was a serious conversation. So I that was like a vibe I had understood might have been the case that he came in as it was like, oh yeah, if I give that, everyone's gonna be really mad at me, and he heard that literally. Man United walking it back with the absolute truth and not something that won't get everybody fined. I'm sure, well, that's, that. what, uh, I'm sure that's what happened there. But why don't uh, it, uh, a slightly more interesting angle on this was if it was given as a penalty, to me, that is nowhere near proportional to the crime. That kind of handball does not deserve a spot kick from 12 yards. So I always wonder if there's an instance like that where it's on the fence and it's, kind of, it's not a direct goal-scoring opportunity. Indirect free kick, why not? Aren't they great? Everybody loves the yeah. indirect free kick in the box, right? Right, Graham? I mean, You're I, willing to answer that question of mine? Yeah, I, I don't know whether that's a serious question or not, but I love indirect free yeah. kicks. Like, yeah. who, who doesn't like indirect free kicks? I mean, someone tweeted, I wish I could remember who it was so I could credit them, but during the game, someone tweeted um, that it's not a penalty, but it's maybe a VAR penalty. And I thought that summed it up pretty yeah. well. One of my biggest uh, issues with the rules, the laws of the game at the moment is we've kind of lost sight of why they're, why they're there. So, like, a penalty should be awarded for denying someone, sco- like, an opportunity to score a goal um, or, you know, or, or like, a, a serious piece of foul play or something like that. Not not for a, kind of an innocuous, accidental handball when two players are facing away from the goal that doesn't really change the, the, the phase of the play. So, yeah, I feel like the, the laws of the game are not in sync with VAR. And if once we align those two, I think they'll we'll get along a lot better. <laughs> I, I would just like to uh, go on the record as saying, uh, Graham, I also had I don't care written down. I just want <laughs> you to know that. Uh, and that's no disrespect to you, Ryan. It's just sort of, I think I, I saw Gary Lineker. I don't know if this is who tweeted what you were saying, Graham, but I saw him tweet something similar that like, that's not a penalty, but under the rules and the way it's been interpreted this season, it should be a penalty. And I think that's where I, I get sort of confused by it. And I think you're right that we sort of lose track of what the purpose of this is. And it just becomes, I, I think, a little bit tedious. And I think, Ryan, to your point, 
point a little bit. We don't have much else to talk about from this game, so let's make this the big talking point. Luke Shaw, despite having a, a tremendous game, I think, didn't help with, with those post-match comments. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm not helping by criticizing Scott McTominay. So it's really, it's really just a negative spiral here. <laughs> we, we don't often talk about penalty controversy in VAR checks, and now... I know why. Let's move on from this wretched game uh, and uh, maybe not remember it until the next time there's a nil-nil between Chelsea and Manchester United. We'll be back after these very short messages with the Bundesliga and some actual goals. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We are back. Let's take our attentions to RB Leipzig against Borussia Mönchengladbach. This one was the game of the weekend in the interesting stuff actually happened, boys. A great comeback here from uh, RB Leipzig, who were 2-0 down to their visitors, Gladbach. Um, Mr. Solot, the halftime super sub coming in, setting up the first goal, scoring the third Leipzig now only two points behind Bayern Munich. Graham, are you, is that tingle of excitement I can hear on the radio waves? You thinking there might be a title challenge in Germany now? What are you thinking, Graham? Tell uh, us. No, no, not in the Bundesliga. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm giving you all the, the cut answers today. I'm not trying to be rude. You just keep setting me up. I mean, it's coming across that way for sure. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, I can I can run with that one, Ryan. Uh, I will respond to Graham and say I also was was a no vote uh, before I rewatched parts of this game today, mm. and I do sort of think that by the end the commentators were very up for that idea that it could be a title race that Bayern Munich still have to come to Leipzig and. Having coming coming into the rewatch thinking like yeah but it's still like they barely turned it around I don't think they're going to have the consistency I do understand where that idea comes from because there was such a strong fight back in this one and Nagelsmann because you don't have as much crowd noise you can hear him coaching the whole time you can hear everybody kind of responding that they do find a way to get back into this makes me feel like we will have the closest title rates we've had in a while that's not saying that much but that's what I'm comfortable saying it does feel like it will be Bayern Munich one Leipzig two at the end of the season. But I think a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't have said Leipzig were going to be that second place team. Now it does feel pretty, I feel pretty confident that they will be at the very least. Closest title race in a while. I guess that means maybe early April we'll be waiting until we get the <laughs> yeah, result right. of this one. <laughs> Exciting stuff. We're going to have to watch soccer in March. It's amazing. <laughs> Bundesliga, you just keep on giving. Um, yeah. I, I thought there was some interesting stuff from RB Leipzig here. Uh, I thought they were very good with their width. And Kunku had a very good game, for example. Um, and and Solok coming on, um, not necessarily in his typical position as well. Um, but Upa Meccano. Taylor, I thought was really interesting yeah. in this game in that he sort of contributed the build up to the first two goals. Really good distribution from him. I think uh, he had an error or two in him in this game, but generally pretty impressive from him. 
Yeah, and I think that error, too, used to be what I weighted more significantly because sometimes those errors were very obvious and very inexplicable. And, yeah, he had a few mistakes in this game, but so, too, will most defenders. What I kept seeing was him. I just kept seeing moments of, like, I hope there's a title race this season because there will not be next season because he is going to make Bayern Munich even better. And I think he will probably improve his overall game and we'll stop seeing some of those mistakes. But even if we don't, we'll continue to see him be very physically imposing. He's who completely bodies, I think it was Marcus Turam off the ball, that yep. sets up the, I can't remember if it was the actual goal or the goal that was disallowed, but either way, he uses that physicality, but he's very good at not over-pursuing. He doesn't concede fouls when he doesn't need to. I think he's very good in that regard. But then also his passing vision was on display, helps set up it another was. goal. And I just thought it was one of the, if not the best performances I've seen from him, especially in that second half. Which surprises me because I'm looking at who scored right now and he's got a 6.7, which is the lowest, no, second lowest rating of the team. And yeah, I thought I don't, he really stood I think out. That first half was bad. Yeah, yeah. He had, I, I, thought he had a, I thought he had a poor first half and then a good second half, which is pretty much what Leipzig did um, <laughs> and, and as a whole in this match. But I, I, think, I think having Orban alongside him uh, was, was better for, for mm-hmm. Meccano uh, rather than in, in, in the Champions League against Liverpool, which I thought he had a, a pretty poor game. Yep. against Liverpool um, and he didn't have Orban, Orban alongside him but I mean I think so many a lot of the, the errors that Meccano makes I think tend to come from the this this the extremely high intensity game that Nagelsmann prefers sometimes it, it feels like he is pressured into making a pass quicker than he naturally would and while Bayern Munich are like they're a high intensity team as well they're not quite as high intensity as, as RB Leipzig are so I, I wonder if maybe as you said, Taylor, you expect him to make fewer mistakes next year. I think that might be a factor in, in him uh, just kind of polishing out his, his game a little bit as he won't mm-hmm. be expected to play so in, uh, high intensity next season. Yeah. And Upamecano as well, of course, you yeah, mentioned not having a great first half to, to give away give away the foul for the for the penalty. And uh, I'm not sure who was, was responsible for Turan being completely unmarked for the uh, for the header, yeah. which was albeit deflected for the second Gladbach goal. But yeah, a much better second half from the team in general, I would suggest. How about um, Gladbach? Uh, without a victory in their last five league games, that's their third straight defeat in all competitions. It almost feels like, boys, that if your manager tells you he's going to go to a rival team in a couple of months, it lowers morale somewhat, Taylor. <laughs> so Joe and, Joe and I talked about this, I think, last week, and I was of the opinion that it wouldn't. I, I, I felt like I've played in teams where the, the coach was leaving or one of our players was leaving at the end of the season, and it felt more like, this is our last chance, Like let, let's make it happen. And even maybe there's a little bit of, like, we want to make him regret that decision. And I think, like, for players, in my mind, a lot of the time, I'm setting this up to say, like, yeah, you're probably right. Because <laughs> um, I just felt very, like, they're, they're going to really be motivated to see up the season. They want to prove to the next manager coming in that they all deserve to be there. They want to make him regret it a little bit. And to some extent, they're all professionals. They focus on the game as it comes, and that's what they're playing. But this one did feel a little bit like a team that has a manager that they know is going to be there, who is high energy and is going to get, the like, the most he possibly can out of them, responded in the second half. And the team that had a manager who's leaving who himself made a bunch of different changes and a bunch of different tactical adjustments again Mm. especially in the second half there wasn't that same level of response and it does feel like maybe part of that is the like yeah this season's kind of a write-off we know we're not going to win the title hopefully we stay alive in the champions league or stay alive in the champions league qualification conversation but it does feel like they've gone from we're going to do a lot of things to like "Eh, hopefully we do a lot of things and that is not the vibe you need especially when you're playing rb leipzig well 
at least they can get it out of their system, you know, that the, the, the manager's leaving and they won't have to think about it anymore in the near future. Oh, wait, they're playing <laughs> Borussia Dortmund tomorrow in the cup. That's going to be awkward. Uh, <laughs> Graham, what did you make of Gladbach in this game and uh, what happened to them in the second half? Yeah, I mean, is, this is this is a German thing, isn't it? With with uh, yeah. the, the them kind of announcing moves months and months before the end of the season. I mean, obviously, Bayern Munich have announced that David Alaba is leaving. I don't understand why they, there's a need to... I mean, da- David Alaba, that's a good example, actually. David Alaba is, I think by all accounts in the Spanish press, he's, he's agreed a deal with Real Madrid. He's going to Real Madrid in the summer. But yet Real Madrid haven't announced him and they probably won't announce him until the season is over. I don't understand why... German clubs feel this needs because it, it just, as you say, kind of muddies things a little bit with players being motivated and, and, and so on. But yeah, obviously things are going pretty poorly for Gladbach at the moment. As you say, five games without a defeat. I think they're down to ninth now. So this season's at risk of becoming a, a, a real disappointment. Obviously, they're, they're probably not going to overturn the deficit against uh, City in, in, in the Champions League. But I mean, there's a good group of players there. I, I just felt like Rose was really getting the most out of this group of players. I think yeah. I love the way he, he I mean, he, he is a tactician, isn't he? I mean, he's got to be one of the best tacticians in, in Europe at the moment, the way he uses players in a way that they, they sometimes don't even have positions. Um, it's, it's more like areas of the pitch that they occupy. So I think it's a tall order to replace him. There are a couple of candidates. I actually think, I mean, my tip, is, and it's not an original tip, but Jesse Marsh has surely got to be. Yep. And with a shout, that, that Salzburg to Gladbach uh, pathway is, is, is already established by uh, Michael Rose, and I think he could go the same way. You like the sound of that, Taylor? I mean, I like the sound of, of, of Americans improving their reputation when it comes to coaching, because there's not a lot of... Uh, of high quality resumes in there, David Wagner, I think, remains one of the uh, the top tier ones, and that's not saying much. But I wouldn't mind seeing Jesse Marsh come in. I think there are definitely question marks, like about is is he strong enough at Salzburg to justify that jump? I think Marco Rosa had maybe had a more proven track record that said he also had uh, Erling Holland, which I think is is a big factor in there. Uh, to the second half, I, I also think that. He tried to be, like, not clever, but he tried to take the the game back. I think uh, Rosa tried to get the dominance back. You look at the substitutions he makes, and it's Neuhaus, Benzabeni, and Kramer come on. It's not like like he brings on just all-out attackers, but I think he tries to change it up and get more stability in the team. Then they immediately concede the equalizer. Then in the 80th minute, he brings on uh, Stindl and, and uh, Playa, or Playa, excuse me. And I think, again, we see him trying to be more aggressive, more attacking, but there's just not that, that fight back. There's not that motivation. And at that point, it does feel like Leipzig kind of are taking the game like by the scruff of the neck and they're making something happen. Mm. And maybe he got those substitutions like reversed. Like maybe it would have been better to put the more attacking players on when it's two to one and try to kind of take some, some of the motivation back, some of the momentum back. And then you put on some defenders to see it out. I mean, he knows better than I certainly, but I, I felt like t- to your initial point, Ryan, this was a game in which he does try to adjust on the fly. He does try to kind of bring some of that managerial, managerial expertise to play. And I think it just wasn't as reactive as certainly the changes Nagelsmann made. Yeah, interesting to see Christoph Kramer come out of the naughty corner after his display against uh, Man yeah. City as well. As you say, getting the, the, the interesting order of substitutions uh, with him coming on just after the hour mark there. But it's quite interesting for Gladbach to be getting out of a Champions League, a very difficult Champions League group, you know, with Real Madrid and Inter Milan in it, to this being where they are right now. It does show you what mentality can do for a team. I'm wondering if... There's there's talk of like you know letting him go. There's no point in being there, Marco Rosa, for the rest of the season. But does that mean they don't get their their sweet money at the end of the year 
for if they if they fire him now. That's I'm wondering why they have to keep him. Maybe they could just know. do what Marseille have done with AVB, which is mm-hmm. just send them gardening for a few months, um, mm. and then they get their compensation. They can just sack him. Or sorry, Dortmund can just take him at the end of the season. But you know, I maybe wouldn't take any tips from Marseille on how to run a football club at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> fair point fair point uh boys any more on this game before we move on uh, other than to say uh joe and i will be doing our americans abroad recap tomorrow but uh i did want to mention tyler adams playing centrally i thought looked very very good and then in the second half when sabitzer comes out it, it, it is adams doing a lot of the defensive job covering a lot of the mm-hmm. ground but still doing doing that like his like tertiary role which is maybe being 25 30 yards from uh the opposition goal and just keeping the ball moving one and two touch passing a lot of lateral passing he he himself he's a little bit McTominay he's not trying to break the lines necessarily more shots it's got McTominay but I thought uh Tyler Adams did a really good job in this one and uh, I was very excited and I look forward to talking about him more tomorrow since I know neither of you is that excited to talk about young Americans abroad I'm always excited to talk about young Americans. My favorite David Bowie record. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, you shan't take that away from me. Gents, we're going to move on to I thought it was Italy. in the streets. <laughs> Close second. Italy's coming next after these short commercial messages. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. We are back and we head to the only stadium I'm aware of in world soccer where they play all the small things by Blink-182 when they celebrate a goal. It's uh, the Stadio Olimpico and Roma, specifically Roma taking on AC Milan with this one. Uh, the title race looks like it's still on with Milan getting a 2-1 win in this one. Maybe just a two-horse race with uh, Milan. Uh, uh, they're six points clear of Juve who have a game in hand uh, after Juve drew with Verona this weekend. Inter, meanwhile, uh, 3-0 at Genoa, um, keeping them very much in the runnings. Uh, what did we make of this one, gents? Let's, let's start off, Taylor, perhaps with Zlatan, who um, looked like he had a, picked up an injury here, stretching his groin out at one point in the game, had an audacious back heel attempt mm-hmm. that didn't quite play out. I really wish, I kind of wish it had. But uh, w- w- what happened with Zlatan here? It looked like he wasn't quite at the races, so to speak. It did, because he has those two chances. He has two very, very good chances, both of them coming from mistakes from Roma pretty early in the game. And, like, I don't have any, like, like, like love for Zlatan. I don't have any, like, really negativity towards him. I haven't loved the back and forth with him and LeBron. I feel like he's losing that one. But this did feel like in a, a year or two ago, he scores two goals immediately, and it's like, ah, oh, Zlatan will always find a way to get a goal. Even when he's under fire and being mocked online, he can still produce. And this was one where it was like, oh, he missed that one. Oh, he missed that one too. And you could see him at various moments in this game like sort of look around to blame somebody else and then instead he just like puts his hands to his head and stays there motionless for a second and that felt very like oh he is really in his head in this performance and maybe that's part of the reason why he comes out relatively early in the 56th I think it is also yeah picks up that strain and does seem a little bit uncomfortable at times so maybe tried to play through that to make something happen Uh, but either way not the strongest performance from Zlatan and I would have then expected that this mean that means it's definitely a loss for Milan. If Zlatan's not performing, I don't know how they find a way back. And I guess the answer is they have lots of other good players who can make things happen. They do indeed. One of which was Andy Rebic, who got the uh, the second goal with a lovely turn and shot there. Uh, a couple of other notable performances with Kessie, who always seems to be an important player. Is he the Tony Kroos of Real Madrid? That's just come to my head. I'm not sure about that. But he stole the ball for the um, for, for, for the offside goal that Ibra um, uh, didn't score. And uh, Tamori in the back line, Graham, looking pretty good. Looking like Chelsea might even be interested in uh, reacquiring his services. Yeah, well, I thought it was strange that they let him go in January in, in the first place. I mean, they, this is a club that seems to be scrambling around for central defenders. They have this this young, talented central defender that AC Milan, top of Serie A at the time when they signed him, are interested in. I mean, I know he's, he's not played that much since he joined, but he's dropped into the first team for one of their biggest games of the season, and I thought he did brilliantly well. So if I'm Chelsea, I'm not selling him permanently in the summer. I'm, co- I'm recalling him and, and, and integrating him back into the first-team squad. I thought he was brilliant. I thought Teo Hernandez was really good. and I actually mm-hmm. thought both fullbacks were really good. Um, on the right side was Calabria, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you picked out you picked out Kessie in the, in the center of the pitch. Rebic is finished for the second goal. He scores the second goal. He did. Yep. Obviously, the, the 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 highlight is the finish. But I, I also love the way he kind of rolled his marker to to create the space um, effortlessly, and and then obviously smashed it. And I mean, it's the sort of finish in that position. Every player goes for that finish, but doesn't always pull it off. Um, but it was it was such a a great, great finish and a bit of a shame that he was forced off through injury. And also, as you mentioned, there's Latan. Um, I think he's now going to to um, to miss the, the two Manchester United games. 
um, in the Europa League. I'm sure I saw that before we, we came on air. He's he, That injury is quite a bad one. So, yeah, he won't be able to stick to sports over the next few weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah, some sort of penance in play here, isn't there? Interesting to think about that one. Uh, K- Kessie, by the way, with his finish for the penalty, uh, cool as a cucumber. That was enjoyable right? to see as well. He, as a, he looked so relaxed, didn't he, Taylor? He really did because it was like he did. He I've never enjoyed the slow, slow, slow run up. That always feels like way too much time, and I know it's a stare down, and that's just not my style. But he had the slightly accelerated slow approach. And that he never really broke his gait. It was just this very slow approach and then a very calm finish. I respect the, the stare down. I respect the approach. It's a penalty technique that I could never, ever successfully pull off. I would panic and like apologize as I passed it to the goalkeeper. <laughs> that he stares him down and then just slots it in was terrific. And I thought, yeah, he had a, a really strong game. It then leads me to wonder, because I saw... Graham tweet out about uh, Alexander Zinchenko being like underappreciated, and I think we talked about this a while back, that he's a player that we don't really ever talk about, even when we talk about Man City. Mm. And I started to assemble a list of like the players that we like are sort of, not overrated, but just not talked about that much. And the other two that come to mind were uh, Paulson, who we talked about very briefly, but not that much, and Leon Goretzka. Those are the three that I think of as players who are like very important slash instrumental to their teams, and we never really talk that much about, and not just we, but generally speaking, like I don't see a lot of think pieces about how Leon Goretzka is the heart of Bayern Munich. The underrated triumvirate. There yeah. you go. There's, there's your athletic article in waiting, Taylor. Start writing it. <laughs> if only I knew how to write. If only. <laughs> Scott McTominay as well as another <laughs> <laughs> So I, By the way, I almost went back to clarify something earlier. Not that it matters, but the reason why I think he's the one who needs to develop in that team is because I think he's the one who is most capable of developing his game. I think he has the most potential. I don't see Fred. That Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had to like emphatically be like, good job, buddy. Like That's not what you want to see. Like It wasn't a, like, and now do it better, yeah. which is what I feel like it would have been with Ole Gunnar, or with uh, Scott McTominay. Yeah, I mean, not, not to go back over old ground, but yeah, <laughs> McTominay has some control over his legs, unlike Fred, which is, you know, the chaos press is his trademark. <laughs> You're not entirely sure what's going on, but strangely effective. And at the strangely risk of effective. going back um, over old ground, uh, for which I was scolded earlier in this podcast, there was a late penalty claim in this game. If I were a, if I was a Roma fan, I might feel a little hard done by it with with the loss here. With uh, it was mm-hmm. Hernandez, I think, who sort of wrapped his leg around Mkhitaryan from what I could see, and uh, Mkhitaryan getting a yellow card for simulation for that one. So interesting, but yeah. I, I mean, uh, Taylor, do you think that? Roma deserved a point at least out of this one. They were quite lively on the counter to start off with, and Mkhitaryan was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty. Maybe he deserves to be in the underrated triumvirate. I, I, I think I think they let Milan like like I think their plan was to kind of defend in a flat five and frustrate Milan and then hit on the counter, and I think they were trying to do that via Mkhitaryan via Pellegrini, uh, and and I don't think. With that in mind, I don't think that they were like the proactive enough. I feel like there were moments in which it was Mkhitaryan trying to counterattack and having to take on like five Milan defenders by himself. And so I think I understand then why he would feel particularly hard done when he feels like he finally created something and maybe drew a penalty and instead gets a, a, a booking for diving. Uh, I, and I think it's one of those where like there maybe is a little bit of contact there, but maybe he goes down too readily and... If anything, it's just the official being like, yeah, I can see it, but not, and someone's got to get something, so I'm giving the card for the dive. That feels like one that could have just been like, no call, let's keep playing, but here we are. Here we are indeed. By the way, very confusing of Roma to have two players on the field called Mancini and Pellegrini. That's too confusing yeah. for my brain to handle, by the way. 
<laughs> well, Ver let's give a shout out to Veritu, uh, Veritu as well. Yeah. Um, really nice finish for, for, for Roma's goal from outside the box. Nice cipher effort from outside the box. Apparently the first French midfielder to get 10 goals in Serie A since that famous criminal Michel Platini. So well done to uh, Veritu from that one. Uh, Graham, any more on this game? Um, just very too. He was down in my notes. I'm glad. You, I'm glad you you mentioned him. Is, is this the same player who? Yes. <laughs> who who yep. barely got a chance at Aston Villa and right. at Fiorentina? I mean, he he did reasonably well at Fiorentina, but I just did not think he had these these sort of performances in him. Uh, I, I, yeah, Graham. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just like I had the exact same thing with him the last time we talked to Roma. Like I hadn't seen them in a while, and what, one of the things I really enjoy about watching some teams that we don't often get to see is is looking at them as like who are the next up and comers, who are the next exciting players. And he, and I wasn't as familiar with Veratu. I kind of forgot about some of those experiences. And watching him, I think it was against Inter when he like hustles back and wins a ball, like fights Barella off, and then like launches a counterattack. And I was like, oh, who's this youngster? Like he could be a an exciting central midfielder. And looking it up, and it's like, oh, he's twenty eight, and he's been all over the place yeah. right never mind then so yeah I was equally surprised to see him running that midfield it's interesting with Roma they got Mkhitaryan Veratu El Shuari, Pedro it's uh -huh. kind of the place where people go to either revive their careers or just listen to a bit of Blink 182 in the stadium <laughs> one of my favorite things from this from this game was when there was a disallowed goal I can't actually remember who uh, who scored it but it was a Roma player and so you got a quick blast of all the small things but then they cut it off before yep. you even get <laughs> get into it and I was thinking to myself <laughs> Ryan will be furious <laughs> any glimpse is a good glimpse I think it was Mkhitaryan if I'm remembering correctly who got that offside goal as well so uh, a, a decent uh, outing for him at the very least if not the result that want to, uh, Roma wanted or indeed needed why don't we move on gents for our final game we're going to look at for this weekend review let's head to southern Spain and Sevilla against Barcelona this one ending 2-0 to Barcelona um Graham, to me, this, this seemed like a very good Barcelona performance. I'm seeing it touted by some as their best performance uh, of the season so far. Like Barcelona of old, with you know, a, nice, uh, a nice press going on, lots of chances being yep. created, some actual proper defending. Fancy that. So it seems like there was a lot of differences here between this performance and the PSG one. Yeah, I, I agree this. I think this, this was one of Barcelona's best performances of the season. They've had more emphatic performances in terms of results and and you know how many chances they created but th this was a game away to Sevilla um you know who Sevilla have been in great form themselves so they, they had a, a real kind of control over the game coming through a bit of a curveball before kickoff I wasn't mm. sure how this was going to work he went for a back three which he has used this season at times but not not for a little while he kind of moved away from it because it wasn't working so well and then the question was, where is Usman Dembele going to play in that system? And, and he played through the middle. And, and in the first half in particular, that was a big success. That's how the first goal is, is created. Uh, Kunde and Diego Carlos struggled with his pace and and didn't really know where he was playing. It took them a little while to get a grasp on on, on, on where he was. And, and Messi plays, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly a good ball, but to be honest, it's, it was almost like the Sevilla defence just kind of split. And, and once Dembele gets through, um, he finishes he finishes really well, which has not always been the case with him. Composure in front of goal hasn't always been something you'd associate with with Usman Dembele. And there was actually a chance in the second half where he breaks beyond the lines, he cuts back, and he puts it on a plate for Lionel Messi, and Lionel Messi blasts it over the bar. Mm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, hold on, is, is, is this like a role reversal, sort of like Freaky Friday thing going on here? Because <laughs> that is not the way that's supposed to go. Um, but yeah, a good performance from uh, from Barcelona here. I have a question about Dembele uh, to his finish. Like, 
I promise, like, I know this sounds nitpicky. It's a, it's a genuine question that I was wondering, and since Graham brought up that finish, I wanted to ask it. Like, watching it again, it, when, when I see it live, he, like, he buries it in my mind. It's, like, really well hit. He puts it bottom corner, and I was like, oh, that's such, like, a Barcelona finish. It's, like, just so well taken. The replay, you see him, I think he ends up uh, megging Bunu for that one. It goes between yeah. the legs as the keeper's rushing out. And there's another world in which, like, he just hits it, an inch to the left, an inch to the right, and it hits off the keeper, and then it's like, oh, Dembele still can't finish. Why is he aiming right at the goalkeeper? And is it just, is it one of those situations that when it goes in, it's a great finish, and if it doesn't, then it's like, oh, he should have done better there? Like, I, I struggle with that one because it looks so good, and he's on, he's like on the break, he's at pace, it's a difficult finish. I just get confused because it is almost a little bit fortuitous, or am I being too critical? Do you mean think- fortuitous that he got the nutmeg, do you mean? Yeah, that like basically he aimed like, I, I, and again, I'm not trying to be critical. It's just a thing of like, wait, is that a good finish if it goes right at the goalkeeper, but the goalkeeper's positioning means that he's not in the best shape to block that one? That's what, like he didn't bend it around him, is I guess what I'm saying. So I, I still struggle with that. And it wouldn't just be with Dembele, with any forward when that kind of goal yeah. happens. I wonder, is that a good finish? Is that opportunistic? Or is it just a little bit fortunate? Well, I guess I guess the answer to that is there, there's no real way to know unless you, you can tell whether he meant it yeah. or not. Like, yeah, whether, yeah. like, is that the, what he's attempting to do? I often think that with nutmeg finishes, like, is that just a poor finish that the yeah. that's gone underneath the goalkeeper? But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really have an answer for that. You would need to to ask it. it was no, but belly if you can get him uh, off Fortnite. <laughs> if you can. But I think you're right, Graham, that like part of it is if you can tell that he's picked that spot, then obviously it's a great finish. But also there is just something to be said for when a striker is confident and they just find a way to put a shot on that causes the goalkeeper problem, maybe he takes it sooner than the goalkeeper expected. So there, there is a degree of technical proficiency. So you're right. It probably is just case by case. But in this situation, a great finish. Well, it wasn't a beautiful day for Bono getting nutmeg by Dembele working in mysterious ways, Bono getting stuck in a moment he couldn't get out of, and so on and so <laughs> forth. Uh, but Is that Dembele how you pronounce it? My bad. I think so, right? Yeah, I think, Bono, I yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, just, uh, you just say Bono and then you go, yeah, 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 straight afterwards. That's how you pronounce it. That's you go one, two, three, fourteen. Obviously, that's how you count in Spanish. Uno, dos, tres, catorces. Watch out. He's in, your, he's in your iTunes. He just snuck in there. You didn't even see it. Happened while this podcast was going. Uh, Dembele looking uh, very confident. You're right, though. He, he does look very good when he has confidence indeed. And you mentioned, Graham, uh, Leo Messi blasting one over the over the um, over the crossbar for this one he had a very good game in general of course Leo Messi getting yep. getting a goal for himself uh, a, a lovely solo effort and an assist as well but there were moments in this game where Messi sort of burst it like we're used to him walking quite slowly these days but there were several moments where he sort of put the gas on and he had a man on the overlap quite often and he instead made the decision to charge into the box himself and sort of, you know, got cut back or got, got um, dispossessed or he put in a bad cross. And there was m- me thinking, Messi's very good. Why didn't he just do the overlap and lay the ball off instead of going for glory there? It, it seemed like, who am I to question Leo Messi's decision making, Graham? But uh, did you know what I mean? There was some yeah, moments no, no. in this game. Definitely, I, I I absolutely know what you mean because I was doing my um, player ratings after the after this game. I was working this game, and and um, it, it, sometimes you know the eye test with Lionel Messi, you think he's had a not a great game, and I didn't think this was one of his best games. Games, but then you consider that he, he got a goal and an assist um, mm. at, for the two goals in in a, in a two goal game. So. Yeah, it's, it, it, I think this has been quite. This, this was a quintessential Messi performance this season. He hasn't had his his best season. I think we all know that. But he's top of the Pachichi standings in, in in Spain. 
Barcelona are just about in the title race um, still after Atletico Madrid, are, you know, their, their forms kind of dropped off a little bit recently. So I, I think this is just what we get from Lionel Messi. Now, he's, he's capable of moments of brilliance. Of course, we all know that. But in terms of sustained performances over 90 minutes, they are quite rare now, actually. Hmm. Yeah, uh, well, a good performance from him, definitely. And a good performance from Ray Hudson on the BN Sports commentary, by the way. Graham, not sure if you heard this, but when uh, no. Messi scored his goal, um, uh, some of the co- Hudson was going through his greatest hits of, uh, of similes and metaphors. He's handing out chocolates to the defenders as he goes by. Slippery as an ice cube on top of an oven. It was all this wonderful stuff that was uh, uh, why, being... Why was he handing out chocolates? Is that like a sending them to the shops kind of equivalent? I'm not sure. But either way, just, uh, Messi's just giving gifts out there. Are we sure we, are we, sure we, we, we didn't just miss him actually doing that? And Ray Hudson, for once, was just being literal. It's possible. <laughs> the, the, the Hudson who cried wolf. It's the one yeah. time he's being literal. Like, Messi is actually handing out chocolates out there, folks. Yeah. At least he didn't use um, a slippery as an eel covered in Vaseline, which I think he's used before in relation to... Eel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Seinfeld. That's a topical reference for the uh, the eighteen year olds out there. Uh, I will say, like, in as much as I have given Ronald Koeman some stick for this Barcelona team this year, like this felt in the in the most positive way possible, like an oh duh moment of like every single part of this makes sense now. Of mm. you're worried about the pace of PK and Longley and how they handle just playing at a four. Well, add Benguiza in there; he can be a little bit more pace, but also you've got another central defender that you can kind of pack in. Busquets can then sit in front, and now you've got everything clogged up, but you still have attackers out wide with the wingbacks. It lets Messi have a strike partner, but it also puts Dembele. And then I think, honestly, even when Griezmann comes back, going back to Atletico Madrid, even Sociedad before that, and then with the French national team, when he looks his best is when he has a partner in a two. So I do wonder if this makes him look better, too. And I know yeah. Graham was saying earlier that like this is a th- uh, we've seen them in a back three before, and we have, but this felt to me like a oh, I am seeing what's going wrong. The PSG game was really strong evidence of why we can't continue to play this particular style, so we're going to adjust it. I was so confused by it because I'm so used to the 4-3-3 from Barcelona slash, I guess, 4-2-1 under Koeman that I kept trying to figure out, like, is Dest also a right back? Like, it took me until the second half to realize that they were in a back three. That's how ingrained that is in my mind. Well, that's yeah, that's interesting. Kuman did take a risk with the with the formation. It very much paid off, and it probably worked to Hercedino Dest's credit, didn't it? With uh, with him working mm-hmm. as that at that right uh, wing back as such in a three four one two or three five two, whatever you five three two, whatever you want to call it. But um, do you, do you think Taylor that actually helped Dest out this this um, this uh, setup? Because you know he, he was yeah. getting forward, bombing forward quite a lot, hit hit the woodwork as well. Yeah, I think so. I think it's also. With some of the defensive issues I, I talked about and we, we've seen from Barcelona this season, if you're Dest, a, a newbie to this squad, I think there's probably always going to be a little bit of if there's a mistake and it's 50% PK's fault and 50% the new guys' fault, I feel like we know who's going to end up getting the blame in the press. And I do think that's somewhat to blame for some of the perception of the way it's gone for Dest. Yes, that's right. I'm blaming the media. Uh, but I also think it gives him cover. It allows him to do a bit more. You get to see more of his attacking flair without him then having to get back 70 yards to make sure he's in position. Yeah, I think it put him in a much stronger position. I, I would say that I didn't see him, like, be electrifying. I saw good moments from him, but I thought it was a solid performance overall, and that, I guess, is enough right now with Serginho Dest in Barcelona. Indeed. Now, uh, Taylor, I think you mentioned Anton Griezmann there, mm-hmm. and I'm going to pose a difficult question to Graham here because he seems to be liking those from me today. <laughs> Anton Griezmann, um, <laughs> uh, obviously not featuring here, 
and they looked pretty good, did Barcelona. Is there a case to be made here that Barcelona are generally better without him? There are some fans who think he's a bit of a passenger, and this, this system works pretty well. Can we make an argument that uh, you know that they're, they're better off with, with him uh, sidelined? I'm going to be not too knee-jerk with this because if you'd, you'd asked me that two weeks ago, I think Antoine Griezmann was in his the best form he'd been in as a Barcelona player. I think he'd scored something like five goals in, in, in seven games and he was really starting to look like the player that Barcelona bought, bought him to be. Um, I, I think um, it's difficult to know what his role is in this Barcelona team still. I, I think he, he, he suffers from, obviously, the 4-3-3 system and um, if, if Dembele's being used in this way, then there's not really a role for Griezmann in the team. I still think he's 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 not been as bad as some of the other Barcelona flops, you know, like Coutinho or before this season, Dembele. It's been one of the, the pluses of this season. He's been given a, a prolonged run in the team. And just in general, I mean, I think we're maybe going to talk about some of the off-field things, which are not going so well for Barcelona right now. <laughs> but on the field, I actually feel like things are not so bad for Barcelona. And I hope that's consistent with what I've said. And this is where I go back two weeks ago and I find myself saying that everything is ruined for Barcelona on the pitch. They need a complete rebuild. But I, I do think, um, and sorry to any Barcelona fans listening, I do think their fan base is, is slightly hysterical, at least the the, the Twitter element of their fan base and things are not so bad. I mean, they've got some really good young players coming through. Obviously, you know, Pedri signed in, in the summer as, as maybe the best youngster at the club, but even Mariba coming on off the bench, even players like Brathwaite. I know he's not very sexy and he's he's not the centre forward that Barcelona want, but he he still does a job for Barcelona. Trincao's found a bit of form recently. I think Sergino Dest, from my money, has actually been pretty good for Barcelona this season. I've been impressed yeah. with him. Um, and Coleman's shown a little bit of, uh, I think we all thought he was going to be wedded to this 4-2-3-1 when he came in at, at Barcelona. He suggested as much at the start of the season, but he's he's changed formation and shape and approach a number of times. So I just think Griezmann needs to find, he just needs to accept his role in that. And and going on his demeanour at the sidelines of this game, he was he looked, I mean, he was a bit of a cheerleader in this game. I don't know if you saw him. He was he was all smiles and clapping. I think he was really pleased for Usman Dembele to, to score that first goal. I think they're quite close pals. So whether it's on the field or as like uh, off the field cheerleader slash social media manager, which I think is a role Antoine Griezmann would do well. I, I don't think there's two. I, I don't think he's had some social media issues in the past, but yes, yeah, generally yeah. speaking, yeah. I yeah. mean, so of Barcelona yeah. to be fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he might be next to be arrested for social media crimes. Um, but yeah, I, I think Griezmann's just accepted what it is. He's. He's not. He's not the new Neymar. He's not the new Messi. He's just a part of of this team, and and I think that the Barcelona are better for him accepting that role. Taylor, what, what do you make of uh, of uh, Graham's comments there? Maybe uh, if we talk about Ronald Koeman, is this is this a false dawn? Is this a turning of a new a new leaf for Ronald Koeman? Is this a stay of execution? Uh, what, what do we think of it for for the long term future of this manager and this team? Uh, I, I think we won't know until the end of the season because that's when we'll we'll get. I, I think I think we're still on track to get a new board, but that's when I think we'll get more clar- clarity as to whether it will be Xavi coming in if he is Kuman, just a very temporary manager, or if he does get sort of the the stamp of authority, and then we know it's going to be him going forward. Th- there just feels to be a lot of limbo uh, slash negativity at Barcelona, and I think it's tough to say honestly that like results on the field truly matter as insane as that sounds but just like I think Kuman could have a very strong season and short of winning the Champions League which seems very unlikely and winning the league I think we're still going to run into a like yeah he kind of turned it around and they finished second and it was a rough season and there was a lot of off-field turmoil uh, but is he still the guy like I, I I think until we hear Barcelona say he is the guy 
the results, like, short of winning everything, like, don't matter as much in my mind, which feels like a commentary on Barcelona, or at least my opinion of Barcelona right now. Graham, Barcelona have uh, scored five unanswered goals uh, this week with the Elche midweek win as well. Are they setting up to do one on PSG here? Be honest. Um... No, but I, I I don't think it's totally out of the question. I mean, any team that's got, me, you know, Lionel mm. Messi and, uh, you know, Dembele in good form and Griezmann going back to France, a little bit of motivation there. I mean, they could win. What what would they need to win? Three? No, they would need to win 4-0 at the part of France, wouldn't they? Because away goals, obviously. Yes. Um, I mean, that's a tall order, but I don't think it's totally out of the question. I mean, it's, it's, it's ground they have trodden before, let's say that. So interesting times ahead of us in the Champions League, potentially. And for Barcelona, who are five points behind Atleti, uh, who have a game in hand at the top of La Liga. I realise we've covered this game and not actually spoken a word about Sevilla, by the way. Um, if, if anything you guys want to say about them? I thought they were just generally kept pretty quiet by Barcelona's intensity in this game. Uh, you know, yeah. trying to start with Manu and De Jong up front, but um, not, not quite happening for them. No, I mean, I think that's evidenced by the, the triple halftime substitution. I think that's Lopetegui wearing his, uh, how, do you, how do you phrase it, Ryan? His um, outfit? Alimony Tony, divorced dad from The Sopranos. It's, it's that he doesn't button up the undershirt <laughs> that's really the problem. Because it's like two unbuttoned things happening at the same time, and it makes it look very much like, yeah, he rolled out of bed to manage this one. And maybe yeah. some of the team rolled out of bed to play in this one, because it was not a very strong, energized performance. It felt like Sevilla sort of not expecting Barcelona to throw some tactical adjustments at them, and then Sevilla not really knowing how to handle them. So that triple substitution at halftime, I thought... Maybe that's going to have a difference. Maybe it's going to turn things around. And I think it made Sevilla certainly a stronger team in the second half, but not so much that Barcelona ever looked truly uncomfortable. And then obviously the late Messi second goal, uh, or the second goal for Barcelona, Messi's first in the game, that totally kills it. But yeah, I think that's why there's not much to say because the entire first half was spent with them trying to figure out a way forward and then them having to make adjustments at halftime. Indeed. Graham, any more on this one before we head off into the sunset? Um, nope, just that obviously the uh, the Barcelona presidential elections are this weekend, so it might be a little there bit more uncertainty. And uh, that has been preceded by uh, Barcelona being raided by the, the cops today. And reportedly, yeah. Bartomeu and a couple other Barcelona figures, including their current CEO, I want to say, yeah. um, have reportedly been arrested. So <laughs> good on the pitch, not so much off the pitch. <sighs> the drama never ends in Catalonia, it seems. Lots of fun and games going on at Barcelona. Right. Yes, Sorry, please. I have one more thing before we end, but I interrupted your closing. I apologize. No, you please go ahead with it. I, uh, you interrupt me anytime you want, darling. All right, well, I appreciate that. It's for a completely unnecessary tangent, but I'm going to do it anyway. Given that we've now asked Graham a couple questions that he clearly was like, whatever, I have some more <laughs> questions for Graham. Uh, I just want to know which of these does Graham least want to talk about? Is it uh, the Messi versus Ronaldo debate? Do we need more uh, English managers in the Premier League? Uh, Jose Mourinho post-match quotes, or is Neymar too much? Which well, of those Super do League. you least want to talk about? What's Breakaway Super one? League as well, please. Oh, yes, and European Super League. Those are your five talking to, uh, topics, Graham. Which one do you least want to talk about? Um, as a Scot, I feel like I, I need to say <laughs> the English managers in the Premier League. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Uh, so you want to do a tight 15 on those right now? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, Sean Dice should, Sean Dice should get the city job after Pep. Why not? <laughs> all right, that's it. That's all I needed. Ryan, I throw it back to you and I'll stop interrupting. Tight, tight 15 episodes, you mean? Sounds like a series we've got here with Graham. <laughs> The silence is deafening. (laughs) 
Gentlemen, it has been a wild ride on our weekend review. Thank you very much for joining me, Graham. A pleasure speaking with you, as always, good sir. Thank you, Ryan. I look forward to uh, next week's episode on why Eddie Howe should be uh, next Manchester City manager. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Taylor, I know you demand equal treatment in my outro, so whatever I just said to Graham, uh, also back at you, pal. Also back at you, pal. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>